Upon further review. Upon further review. Welcome to Upon Further Review, your weekly uptake of hot topics across the National Hockey League. Powered by your hosts, Angelo Ricci and Stefan Bianchi. So we're back after two weeks, and I think the reason we took a break last week is because you know, Andrew's parting like he won the cup because he had picked Vegas pretty much from day one to make a pretty deep run, and they just went ahead and just won the cup, as you do, simply. Yeah, we'll talk about our hot takes later on, but we'll just hide the Pittsburgh Penguins take that I had early on, and we'll rip it with yeah. the Vegas one. For the real listeners, might remember that yeah. one. We'll, we'll come back. I wonder what the odds were on Vegas to win the cup when the when the playoffs started. They were, I think, plus fourteen or fifteen hundred when the season started. There were ten teams. I was I remember reading on Twitter ten teams with better odds for them to win the cup. Hmm. One of them being the Florida Panthers, which is kind of weird to say going into the playoffs. Everyone thought Florida was terrible going into the probably most people thought Florida was the worst, if not a top two worst team heading into the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Is that correct? Yeah. And, and going into the season, they were within the top ten best odds to win the Stanley Cup. That makes sense. Well, because yeah. of their President's Trophy season they had the year before, I don't think anyone expected them to suck as much as they did. People were also really high on that um, that trade with Huberto and, and Uyghur. I mean, right? fair. Um, like You were. You were one of those people. I mean, right. we both were, but you especially. Yeah, that's true. So, I mean, it makes sense. Well, okay, let's talk about it, though. They won the Cup. I mean, three years or six years after Bill Foley was like, Three years playoffs, six years cup. They actually went ahead and did it. Mm-hmm. Um, pretty gutsy of him to come out and say that literally before the team even had a player to their name. But it worked. Like the way they the way they operated, they just and I think they got they caught a lot of flack along the way for the way they did business. But clearly, it worked. Mm-hmm. They they if they thought that they had a chance to improve their team, they did it without any hesitation, which is pretty rare, I think, for an NHL front office to operate in that way. But for sure, a lot of questionable moves coming in. They gave what Patchetti up for future considerations Literally free. at yeah. that time. They came into the into the regular season with like four goalies, none of them being great. I think was it? Did Leonard get suspended before the season started? I think he did. Uh, was it? I don't know if it was a suspension or if he was still injured, but he went bankrupt at some point. Yeah. <laughs> like there was a whole bunch going on. Yeah, he was never going to play this season. And then they had what, Logan Thompson, Brassois. They traded a third or a fourth for Hill yeah. as like a a flyer third string goalie and then Jonathan Quick who they got later but yeah they had no assurances in net and then yeah. I think Bruce Cassidy your boy I know that was crazy it was funny to see when Bruce Cassidy won the Stanley Cup his post game presser was like after he signed with Vegas he even said he's like I didn't know coming in that this was the sixth year and, and our owner was predicting the sixth huh. year there was a bit of pressure and, and he pulled through I've said it a million times I think honestly I think Bruce Cassidy is I think he's the best coach in the NHL I just his ability to rally teams to to put the noise away and I know that sounds cliche but you know in Boston there were never problems granted there were no problems with Montgomery either so that that organization could have just been rock solid in terms of like drama within the team but we know Vegas had a lot of problems coming into this season and I don't know about you I didn't hear any locker room drama about the Vegas no, Golden Knights throughout the entire year Maybe maybe it's because their leadership core got better. This was Eichel's first season. Is that correct? I think his first full season. Because he was hurt last yeah. year. He had the, the surgery in his first full season. I mean, they win a Stanley Cup. Good for him. I mean, yeah, yeah. Bruce Cassidy looks like that guy. I was hoping that the least fired Keith last year because Keith was a, sorry because Cassidy yeah, you was did available. Say that. But uh, it looks like he's sticking around now. Which uh, is, 
yeah for sure i think but i think he he is responsible probably the biggest reason why they didn't need to have a superstar goalie Mm -hmm. because if you have a guy who's going to make sure that your team plays solid defense and with the way their team is built like they're built to play a certain style defensively we talked about during the playoffs too if you just have a goalie who can save pucks regularly like without having to give up five million high scoring like high danger scoring chances against each game like the you're gonna get a goalie that makes saves and and you're gonna get a team that wins games as a result a hundred percent we say this all the time in in terms of you know, that cliche is also very true where playoff teams are built from the posts up. And we, we know, like this year it happened again, Sergei Bobrovsky and Aiden Hill coming, I think coming in to the playoffs, sorry, coming into the Stanley Cup final, Sergei Bobrovsky had the highest save percentage of all time for a goalie in the playoffs. And you know who surmounted that? Aiden Hill's save percentage goalie yeah. in, in, the, in the finals. I think he had the highest save percentage in a Stanley Cup final of all time, Aiden Hill. So really? You, yeah, you have two teams whose goalies statistically are playing like Vesna goalies at the right time. I mean, for Vegas' side, there's no one really glamorous offensively. Like, we can sit here and argue that Stone and Eichel are fringe top 25 players in the NHL, top yeah. 20 to top 25. Marchessault, think- you know, had a great run. He won the Conn Smythe, but he's not Steven Stamkos scoring off the rush. No. Vegas made a living off a hot goalie, and honestly, with one of the toughest decors in the league, and... When you have a goalie that can make 29 out of 35 saves, if you can get two and a half goals a game, you're going to win more than not. Yeah, and I don't even think they need to be built in a way, or they obviously weren't, but I don't think they needed to be scoring a bunch of goals because they were so solid defensively. I mean, Marsh is so, I think, barely passed Seidel for most goals, and Seidel was out two rounds before so before fun. them, right? So they, they definitely weren't the highest scoring team, but they just knew how to win games. That's coaching, that's goaltending, that's playing with a certain level of, you know, attitude and grit. Like, I I don't know. I think it took Marchessault nine or ten more games, something like that, than Dreitzel. Yeah, if not more. more. Yeah, because he did it, I think think he did it in game five against Florida. And they went how many, I guess. That was five. It was a five-game series, I think. Yeah, so there we go, five, because they ended up playing. No, but Dreitzel didn't score in, like, the last two or three games of that series. Oh, okay. So I think it was, like, seven or eight games or something like that. Yeah, he was, he was ridiculous, that, that team. We, <laughs> if Edmonton has a guy who can literally lead the, lead the playoffs in scoring, playing less than two full rounds, they should be winning cups, but they're not. Um, we won't talk about Edmonton now, but, like, do you think that the way Vegas operated and how ruthless they were, do you think that that should be inspiring other teams to manage in that way? Or do you think that's just a step too far for NHL general managers to just be not reckless, but ruthless? Yeah, I'm going to say the second one because I'm not a big fan of judging um, judging tactics based off of the results. Like at the time, okay. the moves that they were making were quite questionable, especially in the media. They were polarizing the media, the fan. Remember the fans were coming out and were sorry, not the fans, the player. There were anonymous players mm. that were coming out and saying that they didn't like the way the organization was treating players. Remember Max Pacioretty was it on spitting chicklets. Remember he had that whole. He did go off. Yeah. I don't. Yeah, I don't remember what podcast it was, but he was talking a lot of crap about the way they were run or like that guys didn't care and stuff like that, which is really rare for a team like Vegas. Yeah. So, I mean, at that time, that team was admittedly in shambles, which is why I probably would say it's a step too far. They got kind of lucky that Bruce Cassidy came in and cleaned up the mm-hmm. mess very quickly. It, it was perfect timing. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm going to say that it, it was bold what that, what that owner did. And I mean, it was, it I mean, worked. It worked. Yeah. I, I mean, it, it, it worked. 
but who's to say it's going to work again? Like trading, you're right. Trading Pacioretty for, for nothing, just to get the cap space so you can keep your team the way it is. Not have to like put, trade away other guys or keep guys in LTIR for the entire season. It was a risk. You're right. And it, but it worked. Yeah, I'm also so sick and tired of people saying that Vegas takes advantage of the LTIR. Like, of course they do, but like, I think 28 out of 32 Every teams team. in the NHL do, right? I think over yeah, over half of the league was over the cap at one point during the season. Yeah, and I think Stam- so. I think that Stamkos Kucherov dynasty team they were like 10 or 11 million over the cap. Yeah, they had the, remember they came like out that. with those T-shirts. Yeah, Kucherov was wearing one of those T-shirts. It was like 18 million over the yeah, cap or something. Yeah, Who cares? I, like I you. They're playing within the rules. Every team does it, and every team that wins the cup until the cap goes up twenty million is gonna be operating the same way. So just take it like take it as it is. Your yeah. team is probably doing it too. Played played by the rules. I mean, it's it's even quite quite similar to the, so the question that we asked last podcast episode where we said if Florida somehow wins the cup and Bobrovsky wins the Smythe, is that contract justified? And I think you answered it properly, saying. No, because although you got a cup out of it, you know, ten million over eight years at the time was probably eleven was probably a bad move, and I and I think you can apply that argument here for Vegas as well. You probably don't want players going on podcasts saying that you you suck at yeah. managing, and it's probably a little bit to do with the market too. Like if you were a player and you knew that Vegas was a little bit, I don't know how you would describe it, ruthless or not sentimental. But if you got to go live in Vegas and have no state income tax, like I'm sure that the scale balances out. But if you're in, I don't know, I don't. Which market do I want to pick on today? I, let's honestly say, let's say Winnipeg because we, <laughs> we're seeing players now have issues with them. But yeah. Winnipeg has obviously they have a provincial tax, and they're not Vegas. So if 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 Winnipeg was poorly run and there was issues in the locker room, which they are, which there are, mm-hmm. I think a player would be much more reluctant to go there under the same circumstances because compared to Vegas, there's just off ice things that make Vegas way more appealing. Even if there was a bit of a circus before. Oh, I I agree. The older I get, the more I realize that, or the more you start to understand that um, as a kid, you forget that these players are adults and humans first over players, right? Like, they're they're willing to go to Vegas with all else with all with the same mm-hmm. amount of penalties as Winnipeg just because Vegas is a better city to live in. Yeah, and they I make mean, more money when you operate in Toronto or Vegas or I don't know somewhere in California, you're you're able to be a little bit tighter than you are if you operated in Calgary or something like that. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And on a side note, you said that thing about income tax. We posted another video on TikTok. Yeah. Do people on TikTok not understand what an income tax is? I don't think so. And I, <laughs> I, I couldn't respond to a lot of the comments because I just didn't know like the terminology, but I knew they were wrong. Oh my gosh. They, they There was one saying, oh my God, I can't remember exactly what he said, but I knew there was a term to describe that you've taught me before that would completely refute what he said. I think he was talking about, oh no, it was the, yeah, but he gets paid American dollars in, in Toronto. It just doesn't matter because well, the exchange and the yeah, inflation I mean, counts for that. Whether like, you get taxed in euros, USD, or Canadian, like taxation rates or taxation rates, you're still losing money. Well, what, but what I think what his point was, and I think it's still a wrong point, was that oh, the American dollar is worth more than the Canadian dollar. So if you're making it in Canada, it's an advantage. Yeah, but, I mean, technically not because you could just you could just take all your Canadian dollars, turn them into American, and invest in America. This and, makes and ab- you should be yeah, the, yeah. the exchange rate make accounts for all of that, and it, the prices of food and goods all account for that, right? It makes absolutely yeah. no sense. And there were even some guys talking about how um, um, people, sorry, NHL players are taxed according to the city that they're in, which is something I learned that is true. So technically, per each game, 
um, your marginal income that you earn per game is taxed in the city that you're playing in that game, which is kind of cool. Okay. But by the same argument, I mean, I would rather have 50% of my games taxed in, I don't know, Arizona than in California. I, yeah, no, the logic still stands. I think we should just keep posting these videos and pissing people off and just turn into like a, a hockey slash economics educational Hockey finance page. podcast? I mean, we could. That, that would be the definition of niche. <laughs> I don't know how many of our listeners would stick around for that, but we get people riled up. For, for sure. But um, do you have anything more to say about the, the, the finals? There's a couple more things I wanted to talk okay. about. Okay, yeah, cool. The, I mean, we, we talk about this time and time again, but this is the last time that we'll talk about it. The Florida Panthers, without Sergei Bobrovsky playing not good, out of his mind, mm-hmm. are not a playoff team. Like, they're not, I'm not even saying they're not a Stanley Cup team. They're not a playoff team. Well, they, they were barely a playoff team when he was playing bad, but... They would have got. They would have lost in the first, in the second round if he wasn't 100%. playing like it Jesus. Took, it took Pittsburgh to lose to what Chicago and Columbus and Florida to win six of their last eight mm-hmm. or something like that for them to squeak into the playoffs. They were getting hammered by Boston while Alex Lyon was playing slightly above average, and then Sergei Bobrovsky comes in, plays out of his mind for three rounds. They barely squeak by. I know they beat the Leafs in five, but if you look at it statistically. They squeaked by us in a lot of those games. Two overtime games, I think. Yeah, you look at it here. He had Sergey Bobrovsky was three one and zero in five games with the goals against of one eight nine versus the Leafs. He had a save percentage of nine forty three against the Carolina Hurricanes. They were four zero and zero. He had a goals against of one point one two and a save percentage of nine sixty six. Which That's... those are two of the best stat lines I've ever heard. Yeah, for a I mean, that, you win it. You win a series nine times out of ten with a goalie playing like that, even if you have. Like me yeah. playing defense for you, like a hundred percent, and they did both of those while statistically supposed to be losing games according to yeah, goals, well. goals against goals expected. Remember, in, in both, and I think in all eight of the or nine of these games between these two series, they had an expected goals of like two, two and a half, and where the Leafs and Carolina had like four, four and a half. Yeah, they were they were getting outplayed most of the time, but that's that's how they made their living. Like they they. They were riding their hot goalie, and then once they couldn't anymore in the finals, they they got beaten five. Uh-huh. Right, that, yeah. that just goes to show how dependent they were on having a goalie playing like a Hall of Famer. And with not much changing in the in the finals, like you said, Sergey Bobrovsky well, goes one four zero with a goals against of four point seven and a save percentage of eight forty four. And lo and behold, they don't lose; they get hammered. Yeah. They got hammered in two games. Yeah, they right? met their match. The final they lost nine three or eight three, <laughs> and I think game one they got hammered too. Right. Yeah, I think there was there was a couple of big a big blowouts in that one, but yeah, they met their match. They met a team that was equally as tough as them, yeah. equally as willing to be pricks. And honestly, like a better, I think, I think Vegas is a better skating team than they are at least for up sure. front. For sure. And dude. then you want to talk about it now, Matthew Kachuk being, I mean, not even being able to play. I think it was a game one or two, game two maybe that he got that hit from Kolasar and then broke his sternum. Somehow played another his two games. Sternum. Yeah, that's insane. His sternum. I like. For for people that don't know what a sternum is, that's your breastbone. Is it like is that the colloquial bo- way of yeah, saying it's your it? Bone right in the middle of your chest. I'm pretty, yeah, connects I'm pretty, all your ribs together, kind of. When people from anecdotally, what I know about a broken sternum is that it hurts every time you take a breath. You can't get out of bed. It hurts to go to the bathroom because like you gotta, you gotta yeah, bear down. Exactly. <laughs> I guess that's the nice. <laughs> yeah, you, you gotta. Yeah, I guess that's true. Yeah. He needed his brother Brady to get him out of bed to help tie his shoes. To help tie his skates, and this guy somehow in th- in two games, and by the way, not in two games playing at like Downsview Arena in a select game, no. in a Stanley Cup final game, puts up two points in three games with a broken sternum. 
That's ridiculous. It's ridiculous to even say that he laced up his skates and was able to skate. Like the, the, he was taking hits. He was taking hits, but the oxygen demands that yeah. you need to play. He's breathing heavy. Either he was on, oh, and I, I don't want to make assumptions, yeah. obscene <laughs> amounts of painkillers. Likely, just, <laughs> but I don't know. Or he's just built different. Because Bit of both. He earned a lot. He already had a lot of my respect. Coming in, I, I said he was a fringe top five player in the NHL. Mm-hmm. We both agreed he's a top two, top three winger in the NHL. After this, I mean, Matthew Kachuk is yeah. that guy. I'm not endorsing you playing with these injuries. No. But he's got he's got grit, man. Well, I remember, if, I can't remember which playoff run it was for the Bruins. When Patrice Bergeron played with a punctured lung, like that's that's incredibly dangerous <laughs> and difficult to do. But th- this is that, if not more. This this is the craziest injury I've ever yeah. seen. Yeah, yeah. To play with a broken like and and with the way Matthew Kachuk plays, he's gonna get hit. He's gonna get cross checked. The fact that he kept doing it and then and then had to call it quits like in game five, is kind of. It's kind of ridiculous. I just don't get how you can't get out of bed and tie your shoes, but you can put up two points in three games in the most demanding, <sighs> arguably the most physically demanding finals in sports in general next to the Super Bowl. Yes. Um, and you're playing against one of the most physical, biggest teams oh, in yeah. the NHL. Pet- Petrangelo is definitely giving him cross checks. Brady McNabb is a prick too. They're, they're all, all of them will, will, give, will leave you with a shot in the corner, an elbow to the chest. Like, For sure. When it came out that he had broken his sternum, I thought it was like... I thought it was a joke. And I was like, I was, I and then I saw more and more. I'm like, there's no way this dude broke his breastbone. It's just impossible. And then did you see Ekblad dislocated his shoulder twice, tore his oblique, tore his groin. He's not even going to be ready for the regular season. He's going to be out, I think. He's going to miss the start of the season. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I know they got annihilated in that last game, and then they, they got outplayed significantly in the games earlier. But I think when you're, when you're I guess your second best defenseman, Montour is their best defenseman, who had a kid, and that's a missed time. And then you have your best forward and your best player playing with a broken chest. I mean, we know that Borowski didn't play well, but with those guys being shells of themselves, it doesn't help. Yeah, I mean, half of the conversation we were having was if Florida makes his magical run, is it Bobrovsky or is it Kachuk winning a Conn Smythe? Well, Bobrovsky yeah. was human again. Kachuk couldn't breathe. Yeah. I mean, when those two guys aren't good, it makes sense that you're going to get hammered. Exactly. Right? You know who the Florida Panthers could have used, though, as secondary scoring? A guy that they gave up at the... Uh, at the expansion, Jonathan Marchessault and and Riley Smith. <laughs> I know Jonathan, both of them. Jonathan Marchessault has um, 13 goals, 12 assists, plus minus of 17 in 22 games. Jeez. Wins his first Stanley Cup. Wins the Conn Smythe. Yeah. There was some argument between him or Jack Eichel winning the Conn Smythe. Jack Eichel finishes with six goals, 20 assists, so wow. he has one more point than Marchessault. Marchessault just scores at a at a rate of double. Mm-hmm. Um, Jack Eichel provides better defense, but usually the Conn Smythe is a point award. Yeah. Did you like it going to Marchessault? I honestly, I think when it came down to the voting, it was fair. I think I go was was second. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think it's nice that it went to an original, um, and then he scored the most goals. I think he scored the most game-winning goals in the playoffs too. He was pretty clutch for them. Some important ones. Either way, that combo of those two guys was they had some chemistry. Yeah, carried them. Yeah, there was that one play that I think Eichel was on a power play. Comes around the net, reverses at the hash marks, and then swings it to Marchessault cross crease. Yeah, him. I think might have been him or Stevenson, but I think Eichel was involved in that play. Off the one time. No, okay, then maybe it was. I distinctly remember Eichel. Oh, was it like on the power play? Maybe. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah, yes. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Yes. Ripping yes. Yes. Cross yes. crease, and then Marchessault goes short side against yeah. Bobrovsky. It was a beautiful goal. But yeah, no, that's all I have to say about the playoffs. Overall, I'm very happy for Vegas. I've said this before. Vegas is my second favorite team in the NHL. Yeah, it, it is. It was cool to see an expansion team within six years 
go on and, and win a cup when in the past and like I think then like when Nashville and Minnesota came in they didn't make the playoffs for like years and years. This was clearly like Bettman was happy with this happening. Oh, I for think sure. I think coming in to that expansion, especially being in Vegas, his first that was his first expansion as a as a G as No, a, I think he had done some expansion before. I think he he's been the he's been the commissioner since the nineties. That's so. true. So maybe. I'm pretty sure, you know, behind closed doors it was let's make this team Stanley Cup ready within ten well, years. They got it early. Yeah, I mean fair enough. Like I know there were a lot of people who were upset they, like about Vegas giving being given the opportunity to be this good, but from a business perspective, if you're expanding to a new market where you've never been before, where no pro sports team has been before either. Like Vegas was was a bit of a risk at the time. Obviously now it's turned out to be a great decision. But you don't want this new team to be floundering and have your fan base become jaded within ten years. Like you you need this team to be good so that you can actually build some connection with your with your new market. So I, I think even though at the time it was like, oh, Bedman just wants Vegas to win. Like, yeah, I mean, obviously he wants Vegas to win. It's, he has financial interest in making them good. Yeah, and I think that's why um, the fact that they were so good after the draft was vindicated financially. And yeah. it wasn't a fluke because Seattle was just honestly just as good after the draft. Yeah, Seattle, like they took a year and then they made the playoffs, 100-point team. That, that's exactly what Bettman wanted. And yeah. because there's, there's been a long history, like you said, of expansion teams being very bad for a very, very long time. Bad. It's tough enough to go into a new market and get um, fans to be, sorry, to get patrons to become fans of that team Mm -hmm. when presumably they're already fans of nearby teams. The only way you let that happen is if those nearby teams have been bad for a while and this new team comes in and it's phenomenal. Like if they went in and were the Arizona Coyotes for 10 years, no one's becoming a Vegas fan. And I think it was even more important there because Vegas is notoriously a a tourist city. It'd be tough enough to find hometown people to become Mm -hmm. fans of that team. They needed that team to be good quick and, I mean, it's work. That building was rocking they in that were. game five. And then they, they shut down the strip for the parade, too. Yeah. Like, all the, the Vegas locals obviously become endeared to this team. Yeah. I think it's really cool. And then you see, like, the NHL set a trend for the first time ever. Now we have the MLB. The NFL, the NFL just moved. The MLB is moving there now. I think it's only a matter of time before the NBA gets a team there. The MLB is going to... I think the, the uh, athletics are moving the there. The athletics, you're yeah. right. The two teams from Oakland going to yeah. LA. Damn, that's crazy. So they did a good thing there. Um, I guess you got to give credit where credit's due for the NHL, but they did a good job. Yep. We're just going to take a brief minute to shut out the sponsor of today's episode, SeatGeek. Looking to enjoy a night out with some friends watching a sports game, concert, comedy show, or music festival? Hit up SeatGeek, an app that helps you find tickets in the cheapest and simplest possible way. By visiting their site, you can see events happening near you and within one click can instantly get access to tickets at the cheapest possible price. With SeatGeek's price grading system, you can instantly find out whether you're getting a bargain on the tickets you buy. At checkout, be sure to enter code UFRPOD to get $20 off your first purchase. Visit SeatGeek today and revolutionize the way you buy tickets. Let's move on to some trades that have happened that have happened over the, I guess recently and the ones that we might have missed since last time. Um, but I think that for the one we have to talk about that we missed, the jackets are think they're good. They think they're good. Um, they get Severson and Provorov within I think two days. It was like one after the other. But Severson was a sign in trade with the Devils. The Devils get a third out of it. 
Um, now they're paying him $6.25 million per year. And I don't watch enough of Damon Severson to really have an opinion on this, but I think like from some of the writers that I've read and whatnot, he was quite good and underrated in his shelter top four second pairing role in the Devils. But when you get paid $6.25 million and get traded to a team with no right-handed defenseman, you're expected to be um, on their first line. So it's going to be a big test for him to see if he can actually live up to the money and live up to the new role that he's going to get. I'm not... I guess we'll see how it plays out, but um, yeah, the devil, the Jackets think they're good, and then they went out and they got and they got Provorov for a first and a second, and then they get thirty percent retained. So they gave up a lot for him. A lot, yeah. I don't really understand that move. Do you like why? Why, if you're the GM of the Columbus Blue Jackets, are you going out and getting Provorov? I think you're going out and getting Provorov because you're just sick and tired of being bad. Like I think, I honestly, and because you're getting Babcock, maybe you want to make some assurances to him that you're going to try and be good. Mm-hmm. But I think after they sucked intentionally last year and then didn't get Bedard, I don't know who the next guy is going to be. Like I don't know who the prospect coming up is, but it's definitely not Bedard. So maybe it, like they they were just thinking like we tanked and it didn't work. Like maybe the gamble isn't worth it to them anymore. But. Provorov is the best you could have done off of a first and a second. Like you don't think you could have gotten a better defenseman for a first and a second pick. Yeah, I know. I know it just came out that Tory Krug doesn't want to waive his no trade clause. But would you not rather not have Tory Krug than Provorov? Provorov's younger, but Provorov's younger. Now he makes four point something instead of six point something because he got thirty percent retained. I think he can live up to a four point whatever million dollar cap hit for them. Mm-hmm. But you're right for a first and a second. Maybe you could have gotten someone a little bit younger with a little more upside because he's not even going to be on their first pair. He's, he'll be behind Wierenski. So, I mean, they shoot the having a here. top three of Wierenski, Severson, and Provrov isn't the worst in the league. It's probably a, a few overpaid and overrated players, but they're still good hockey players. Yeah. No, I kind of I also like Severson going to the Devils, to be honest. No, wait, he went the other way. Oh, to the God. Jackets. My, my bad, yeah. And Provrov... Wait, I'm having a brain fart. They're both in the jackets. That's what I thought. and Oh, and th- that's why the first and the second. Okay, then yeah. that makes more sense. I was going to say, a first and a second for Provorov seems a little steep. But, I mean, when you get them both, I mean. Different teams. I'm so confused right now. Severson was on the Devils. Yes. Sign and trade to the jackets for third. The two distinct trades. The okay, two distinct good. trades, yeah. <laughs> and then it's a first and a second. They basically gave up a first, second, and a third for those two guys. Okay, that's what I was saying. Because when you yeah. give up a first and a second for Provorov, I was thinking... That's steep, but when you combine it together, it kind of makes a little more. As sense. like a trade package, yes, it kind of all together makes it's okay, but in a vacuum, a first and a second for pro Rob is seems like is a a, it's probably a lot. But when you consider that it's thirty percent retained, I'm sure the price went up because of the retention yes. somehow along the way. Um, I also kind of I, I like the move for the Devils as well because you free up cap space, and it looks like the Devils. Um, Next year, like their top four is pretty solidified. Is Hamilton? It'll be Siegenthaler. It'll be um, Graves, Graves, Hughes, Nemich. I don't I mean. know if Nemich is going to make the jump, but Hughes will. But regardless, like Nemich is is going. He's Eventually. going to come up at some point, probably mid through, um, mid through midway through next year. We see this a lot. Unless you're like a first over. I know he was a second, but he was supposed Still. to be like a third or fourth pick. Like usually, those guys take a year and a half and come up midway. And through they should, year, right? And we'll talk about that with the draft too later on, but. Um, Nemich is going to come up, and I think this trade kind of shows that the plans are for yeah. this year. They and, free up some cap space. And, and they couldn't afford him if yeah. they want to keep Meyer. They just signed Brat, who we'll talk about later, but they just 
for them, it was probably we're not going to pay our fourth best defenseman $6 million when we have young guys and when we have forwards we need to pay. So I think it worked out for all these teams. But I guess the one thing you can say about Provorov is that he was playing in a dumpster fire of an organization yeah. in Philly, and he plateaued once Philly really started to take a, you know, a downward turn, I guess, in their trajectory as a franchise. So I guess you're banking on him finding maybe more stability and and the team is not better, but maybe there's more stability in that in that situation, in this organization, where he can kind of maybe return to what he wanted. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, Babcock really wanted the Leafs to take Provorov or Hannafin over Marner I remember when that. that draft was happening. So, you know, if Babcock gets the guy he wanted, you know, albeit six, seven years later, like maybe there's something that they can build on there that was such a weird draft that was the time when hunter was still the gm right and i think well, they were him and dubas were like code gms yeah i think hunter really wanted marner dubas yeah. really wanted strom and babcock really wanted hannafin or Provorov, and it was it was a mess. yeah well strom it, it, and honestly it was a blessing in disguise that strom got taken third because then Mar- marner was there and I, I guess like as it should be the gms won out over the coach yeah. and he was right yeah. i mean if if he did any good things for our organization it was pushing to keep marner or to get Marner in the first place. And who knows, maybe the Severson trade freeing up cap space shows that, you know, what was the one thing that they missed out on in the playoffs last year? Who's this? Uh, the Devils. What did they miss out on? Yeah, it was very inconsistent. They were very good for a bit. Oh, goaltending? Goaltending. Maybe Hellebuck's on the market. Maybe. He Hellebuck, is on the market. Hellebuck makes, what, five I think it's something? six points something. This looks like what Severson was going to get. Paid, yeah, so it could knows? be. That'd be pretty cool. And then you have Schmid as the backup learning from Hellebuck. Look, like the Devils are very quickly... Um, had like a Leafs-esque build where they are very quickly having a, a bunch of young guys who didn't have playoff experience who do now, and they're in a, a window to win a Stanley Cup. Like they are. They are. This team is built yeah. to win a cup. The only thing they're missing is a goalie. I would not be surprised if they get Hellebuck for this next two, three-year window to try to win a cup. And then you fall back on Schmid, who's going to be backing up against a former Vesna winner. I think it'd yeah. be good. It would be good. I then wonder if they have the... They probably have... They must have the assets. I think they actually have a lot of assets. They haven't really made any. I mean, they traded for Meyer, but sure, they remember they didn't give up much for him. They so. gave up a bag of pucks. Literally yeah, nothing. and they still have their best prospects ready to trade if they need to. I don't know if that's what would be required for Hellebuck, but they definitely have assets to trade from. You think he would? You think Hellebuck would fit better on the Devils or the Penguins? Because they they talked about well, Dub- Dubis coming into Pittsburgh and making like a splash move. They need goaltending. They a do, lot of- but he's only got one year left on his deal, and then you got to pay him. And what does he get paid? Seven, eight. I don't know. He'll probably ask for Bobrovsky money. He won't. He oh. won't get Bobrovsky money, but I would say like maybe in the neighborhood of eight. I don't know if either team. I guess it's only a two million, you know, increase in what he would have been making. But both like Pittsburgh's in cap hell. Yeah. And I think in short order, the Devils will be too. They're gonna pay Meyer. They just paid everybody else. And then when, you know, I guess you have to think two years ahead sometimes when Luke Hughes is gonna be, an RFA. And they have other guys like Nemec who are going to be working their way towards a, you know, a decent deal, decent second contract. So they got a lot to think about. I think it would be cool to see Hellebuck go because then that that was signal that they're all in for that one year. Mm-hmm. The Metro is a little bit. I think the Metro is fairly open actually for them to be at least to at least get home ice advantage like they did again this year. They were they were really good in the Metro this year yeah. with with iffy goaltending throughout most i know vanacek got hot for a bit he was decent for most of the season but obviously hellebuck's a massive upgrade yeah so be interesting i'm just confused like we talked a little bit about columbus because they're still kind of roped into this trade a little obviously um but they're 
they're in like the situation what we and everybody else say is the worst. They have a, f- a handful of quite good players, and the rest of their team is non-existent. So uh, they're obviously not stripping it down and rebuilding, but they're not good enough, definitely not good enough to make the playoffs in the Metro. So they're going to be what? Picking picking 13th next season? Like They're going to be in that terrible spot. That's the issue with these really small market teams that no one wants to go to. You have to overplay, overpay guys to get into free agency. Sorry, overpay guys in free agency to sign with you long term. It straps your team cap wise. You don't have much room left, and then your team is in like perennial yeah. purgatory. They're definitely overpaying a couple of guys. A but, lot of guys. Well, they're paying, overpaying Gorensky. They're overpaying probably overpaying Severson right now, and they just signed him. Good draw based off of how he was last year. Yeah, by. He still put up. He still put up a fair amount of points. What is he getting paid? Ten and a half, right? Something yeah, like that. A nine and a half. I don't think he got. Did he get double digits? I can't quite. I think he might have. Might have been nine and a half. Maybe you say willing to take the. And either way, though, they have a lot of good and fairly high paid players. But even when you have that, the rest of your team is like if Boone Jenner is your first line center, which he is right now, and you have, you know, oh my God, I can't remember his name. The rookie who scored twenty goals Ken and got Johnson. four assists. Ken Johnson, right? Oh no. It's not Ken Johnson. Who was well, Ken it? Johnson is there, but he's really good. It's a, it's a Russian guy. I can't remember his name. So it was an yes, M. Yes, I remember. Okay. Either way, Regardless. we know who we're, we're, I'm talking about. Like, they just don't have depth, and they have too many good players to suck now. It'll be. It, it's honestly similar to a Philly. Goudreau had 74 points in 80 games last yeah. season, and he made 9.975. 9.75? 9.975. Oh, so basically 10. He made, basically made 10. I mean, it's, it's a, not great value, but it's like a, it's like a John Tavares kind of situation. He's like slightly overpaid, yeah. but he's still still very good hockey player. I think if once that team gets better and he's not playing with like literal third liners, yeah, he'll be fine. But they got to get they have, really haven't gotten him those players yet. I mean, Patrick Line is Patrick Line. I don't know if they ended up playing together for a lot of the year there. So that'll be another interesting team to follow. And with and with hiring um, Babcock, it does suggest to some degree that they're. Like not trying to suck. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you don't you would hire like a younger coach like they had before, um, if they really wanted to suck. So um and then kind of next in, in this trade is the Kings. Like we can talk about the Kings here now because they made they made a couple of trades. Like this trade was one of them. They got rid of Cal Peterson's five million dollar cap hit for the next two seasons. Mm-hmm. They had to retain on Provrov, so they, they basically set, they filled up like th- almost three million dollars in cap space. Yeah. Um and then they go ahead and they trade John Dersey for a second, the Coyotes, which is like a bit of a head scratcher, at least at first glance. What do you think about that one? I love Leafs legend Sean Dersey. He's one of my favorite players in the NHL. Honestly, the, the reason why we, I started liking him is because I remember that he came up um, with the LA organization midway through. Was it? La- it was the year before, year before last. last. It was the year before last year. And me and Steph were on, I remember we were on FaceTime and I made a joke that, you know, Sean Dersey was going to be the next big guy with, with Doughty out, picked him up yep. on fantasy as a joke. And very surprisingly, it was pretty good on fantasy for a bit, changed my team name to something about Sean Dersey, rolled with it for a little bit. Now I just love Sean Dersey, even though he's made his way to be, you know, he's a, he's an above average young defenseman. He's good. Yeah. He's nothing spectacular, no. but he's a good third or fourth pairing, sorry, third or fourth defenseman. Like he's yeah. a good second pairing defenseman. Yeah, yeah. And um, for the LA Kings, who are a young team, are ready to make a push, who developed Sean Dersey, gave him a lot of first-line minutes. I think he was averaging like 25, 26 minutes. One Doughty was out, getting power play time, looked a lot better. You put all of this investment into him and then only give him up for a second? Like yeah. I don't, It also doesn't make sense because, again, his age was in line with the age of the core. He has playoff experience. I don't underst- I really don't understand the value of this move. 
Well, I think that it's clear that they're trying to get rid of Cap, and I'm not saying he was a Cap dump, but I think in the back of their head, like they're thinking, well, we have this guy named Brant Clark coming through, who is an offensively-minded, right-handed, right-side defenseman, who is offensively, well, offensively-minded, like I said. Um, so if you can essentially clear up a million and give Brant Clark the opportunity to play on the second pair, right? Because he would have probably been behind Jersey at least to start. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's what their thought process was. I also think I think Shonders is up for a contract in a year or two. So maybe they were thinking ahead, thinking, okay, we can get a second for him now. We have Brent Clark who's going to basically fill him for a million cheaper. And we get a second and we get to let our best young prospect, probably the best defensive prospect in the NHL, have a chance to thrive on our second pair. So I think that's probably what was their thinking behind it. And and for the Coyotes, honestly, they actually made a real trade for once. Yeah, that's that's a home run for them. Like, yeah. only a second? What did we... We gave up a first and him for Muzzin. Is that correct? I think it was like that... Yeah, I can't quite remember that trade, but he it was basically something along those lines. Yeah. And I we think Grenstrom too, maybe. I don't know. And we drafted him in the second yeah, round. Yeah, that's right. So, I mean... For you to do all of that development, you took a, a second rounder, developed them, and then traded them for a second rounder. It seems like you went back to square one. Yeah, I, and and you couldn't have saved capped anywhere else. Like give up, like I don't know, like Trevor Moore or Victor Arvids, and I know those are good sources of secondary scoring. But time and time again, we see in the playoffs that big, strong decors that can move pucks, can exit zones. Those are the ones that go deep. And I mean, do they have a strong well, puck moving defense? Like Mikey well, Anderson is, is Doughty, Mikey, well they well, that that. I mean, Doughty is still good at that. Mike, and Mike Anderson's decent at that. Brian Clark will be good at that. Bjorn Foot is, I don't know. I can't really assess him because I don't really know much about his game. But Gavrikov is decent at that too. Like they, have a, they still have a really solid top four. That's true. And maybe maybe the way they're constructing their team, they saw Vegas. They're like, well, Brian Clark's not very physical. Dursey's not super, super physical. We maybe, maybe on their third pair, they want a different look. And they do have to sign another defenseman because they they're only at five under contract. That's so. true. Maybe that's what they're looking for with that last defenseman is someone who can be a little bigger and meaner. Poor Sean Dursey, though, man. That yeah. team is ready to win. They look like they're going to be yeah, good. Yeah, brutal. marginally lost to Edmonton last year, and now he's got to go play in a college arena. He's got to play in the worst franchise. I guess the— In sports. So, yes. Yeah. Well, without a doubt. The silver lining for him, though, is that we saw, like— I mean, everyone thought that Goss's bear was washed at the beginning of last season. Then he went up there and had an incredible— offensive like production because he's the only guy there who could do anything on the back end. <laughs> Dursey's going to be in a similar spot. He's going to get to run their power plays and play in their first line. And if he racks up all those points, he'll be he'll be due for a payday. If, and if it's not from the Coyotes, it'll be from somebody else. Yeah, but he doesn't have to like revitalize his career. That, that's what No, sucks. no, but it's it's still an, an increased role permanently. And you said he 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 thrived a bit when Doughty was out. He was so good, yeah. And I'll be it on a way worse team, but he'll be the guy there for them for lack of for for you know lack of having other talent and so maybe for him on a personal level definitely not on a team level but on a personal level he can be thinking well if i'm stuck here at least maybe i'll be productive and get a big payday that's true i don't know what else there is to say about that um one more trade that happened we can talk about this one really quickly because it maybe isn't the you know blockbuster but johansson to the avs for galchenyuk 50 percent retained too avs didn't have to give up any assets because galchenyuk barely was on their team last year yeah I feel like this is a pretty good low-risk move for the Avs, who had a glaring hole at second-line center. I don't understand this trade at all, so I'll let you talk about it. Well, I think the Predators are clearly in rebuild mode. They're, they traded away a lot of their talent last year. Anyone who wasn't named Soros and Yossi pretty much got traded. Yeah. Um, and then for... 
I just don't know why they were so willing to hold on to 50%. It's an $8 million contract. Like, so you're keeping $4 million on your books for two more years, and all they got back was Galchenyuk, who will probably make their roster, but he was basically he's a, basically a fringe NHLer. So I don't know what why they were so eager to move. Maybe they didn't like the way he was you know, being a, like, maybe they didn't think he was the right veteran presence in their locker room. That's going to be a younger locker room now. Maybe they just wanted to get the 4 million off the books. Maybe the owner was like 4 million is better than 8 million. I don't know. Could have been a mix of a lot of things, but if Johansson is, or Johansson is anything like he can be, I mean, I think it was only two years ago. He put up, I think 65, 75 points in and around there. So like he still got game. They can surround him with some goal scorers. I don't know how we have no idea what the Nutrition scenario is going to bring up in terms of if he can play. But if he's if he has one of Landis Cog and Nutrition or Miko Ranton on his wing, like he's going to be playing with much better players. And then you know if he puts up sixty five points, your second line center for four million dollars, I mean, can't go really get much better than that. I mean, we saw we saw that first line power play turn sixty five point Nazem Kadri into one hundred and five point players. Yeah, that's if right. You can get seventy five out of Johansson. And I mean, granted, Landis Cog is missing all of next year. Oh, that's right. But but that's still, brutal. McKinnon, Makar. I mean, like he'll get he'll get chances. And yeah, that's a great point. You said Kad, like Kadri is Johan, Johansson is not known for his skating at all. I think that's like a knock on his game. But Kadri is not the best skater either. And he th- was able to thrive in, in that team. So I think it's safe to say he'll have an increase in his points. And if that fills a hole for them to, to do it basically for nothing and to get fifty percent retention is. Could be work. Could work for both sides, actually. So good for them. I guess in terms of trades, that's kind of it because we can't really say much about this Flyers Blues blockbuster that's supposed to be happening. Yeah, is it an oxymoron to put blockbuster and Kevin Hayes in the same? Well, sentence? it's it's supposed to be like <laughs> Kevin Hayes, Sanheim, Krug. Like it's supposed to be three or four NHL players moving. But I mean, at last last report of Friedman, we were recording on Sunday morning. Like 25 minutes before we started recording, there was a report that Krug, who's supposed to be part of this deal, doesn't want to waive his no-trade clause. So that could put a, you know, throw a wrench in that whole situation. So we can't really comment much, but it's kind of good to see that in, like, you know, after the Stanley Cup, there's usually a lull before the draft, but we're getting some news happening before that. So that's good for us and, and for just hockey fans in general. I hope they save some trades and some news for after the draft because July and August are going to be so boring if that's the case. But maybe next week when we record or the week after, we can talk about a potential blockbuster. But for now, let's just move on for time's sake onto some signings. I think the two huge ones that we're going to talk about, I think more than others, um, two wingers, Brad and Cole Caulfield get essentially the exact same contract. Brad's your guy. He is my guy. He's so good for me at fantasy last year. I don't think I'm gonna be able to steal him in like the third or fourth round like I did last year. Oh, but you gotta give him up again. Yeah. Oh no, you never had him. You you you. you I'm not gonna, him. I can't keep him. Yeah, I got I drafted him last year. Um, but let's start with him. I think it's eight years, seven point eight seven five million. So weird because last year in the off season there was being money thrown around like overpayments here, there, left, right, mm-hmm. and center. The cap is projected to go up, and now all of a sudden we'll see with Brad and Caulfield. These are more like team-friendly deals than they are player-friendly. They are, and I think this is purposefully team-friendly. I think Tom Fitzgerald came out and was like, well, you know, we emphasize the importance of, you know, team success and having guys stick around. I think it also helps when your best player makes eight. Uh-huh. Like, how can you, as Jesper Bratt, realistically say, I want nine? Or like, I want, yeah, right? Like, you're not better than Jack Hughes. Jack Hughes took a good deal, probably helped Bratt be willing to take a good deal 
Um, yeah, that's must be nice to have players willing to take pay cuts to stay in a to stay on a winning team, especially on like a team with not a fantastic market. Like, what they're the third biggest market in New York? Is that true? I know they're in New Jersey, but it's like basic. I, I, it's, well, I mean, they're definitely it's them or the Islanders, and yeah. I guess depending on who's having success at the time would be the second biggest. So maybe they are, but usually in the NHL, you pay for goal scoring. Like guys who score goals make a bunch of money, and Jesper Bratt's a goal scorer. I know, like on face value, thirty. I think he scored thirty-one last year. He had thirty-two last 32. year and twenty-six the year before. Puts up seventy-three points both years, almost a point a game. But not only that, like when you when you break it down by game, like Jay Fresh's player card. So, dude, 99th percentile expected value of offense, goals per sixty, assist primary assist per sixty. Um, he's almost in the 90th percentile of them both. It's very good. Offensively great. You know, defensively granted in like the lower quartile. But yeah. I mean, when you have Nico Heischer, Jack Hughes, who are both great defensive centers. Heischer is underratedly really good. It makes sense. Like it makes sense that you, you go out and you splash on a guy who's going to provide you secondary scoring. Like this really, Jesper Bratt kind of seems like a younger William Nylander for me. Who, yeah, when he's that's off, a really good comparable. Yeah, when he's like off the score sheet, he doesn't look great. But you pay him to be on the score sheet, right? Yeah. So if he can get you 30 to 35 and not do much else and you put him beside a Heischer who can, you know, tackle the defensive load. I mean, for 7.85. Yeah, that's a, it's a steal. And, and you know that he has chemistry with Hughes and fits the way they want to play perfectly. Did he struggle in the playoffs last year? If you scroll up on that. Yeah, he did. He had one, I think he had one, one goal and five assists in, in 12 games right here. Yeah, so I think that's, I remember like, when they were in the playoffs still before they got eliminated, there was like talk of maybe that being like a point like where he needs to improve or that being like a down part of his game. I guess when when it gets a little more physical and the space gets tighter, he seemed to struggle. But like we talked about with the most this New Jersey team, that was their first real playoff experience. So I wouldn't be surprised if next year he comes back and is much better. But I wonder if recency bias got him got the devils a discount here too. Yeah, I mean, regardless, this is a home run yeah. for, for the New Jersey Devils. He's got to fire his agent because he could have got eight and a half somewhere else. You think? Yeah. Well, you, I think he was an RFA, but oh. still. I mean, still. We, we've seen RFAs be like, mm, I want to go to a different team. 100%. So I have a fun, before we go on to Coke Coffee, I have a really fun question for you. Sure. Okay. So, well, obviously, Leafs fans. So I'm just going to we? give you, well, unfortunately, yes. Would you rather have Jack Hughes, Brat, Let's say Meyer gets nine for the sake of this discussion and uh-huh. Dougie Hamilton for about thirty-four million combined. Yeah. Or would you rather have Matthews, Marner, Tavares, and Riley for forty-one million? And the first one's thirty-five. Thirty-four, yeah, th- and forty-one. That's tough because Tavares is getting older. Riley's about the same age as Hamilton. Let's say for next season only. Oh, for next season for only. Next se- for next well, because then Tavares' deal, Matthews' yeah. deal is going to change. Next season only, the Leafs, no question. Okay. What about now moving forward? And these guys are all going to be locked in, these Devils guys. And over the next five years, all these Leafs are going to get pay raises. And I'm taking a risk that they don't sign back. Let's uh, let's assume that they do. Let's assume that they sign back and this number goes up to like $47 million. As opposed to the 35 that they're locked in. See, I would say when you look at it, if the, if the NHL was a non-salary cap sport, yeah. the Leafs by far have better talent there. Like mm-hmm. Matthews and Marner are the best two players of the guys that you yeah. name me. I'll say Dougie Hamilton is marginally better than um, than, He's than, better. than O'Reilly. Yeah, he's better than Riley. And I mean, Tavares is on a points projected scale quite similar to Timo Meyer. Like they they both put up eighty to eighty five. Okay. The Leafs are a better constructed core, but because this is a hard cap, and we saw with the with, with the Vegas Golden Knights that secondary scoring, like tertiary defensemen, win you Stanley Cups. 
this becomes a very good question. I am marginally, marginally still going to take the Toronto. Really? Okay. Just because we showed that even in this playoffs, like Kyle Dubas or any GM theoretically should be able to get sufficient secondary scoring with this cap locked up in the way that they are. Mm -hmm. And if it goes up to 47 million proportionally to what the cap hit is, it's probably going to be similar to what that, what they were paying those four guys to the cap right now. Um, But the issue is, is that, in what five years they weren't able to get half as far as where the devils were able yeah, to get this literally year. and i mean yeah. the devils are only going to get better too and they're going to be all locked in through their primes that's it's tough that's tough it's a tough question i think it's close to show that you know pushing your rfas to sign good deals it adds up right like you think okay matthews yeah is he worth 11 marner is he worth 11 yeah Tavares was he worth 11 at the time yeah is riley worth seven and a half yes yes but hughes is worth 10 Yep. Brad's probably worth eight and a half. Yep. Timo Myers maybe going to get what he deserves, and nine. Dougie Hamilton is probably fairly paid at nine point five. So you have two discounts out of the four. Is you save you're saving yourself probably a combined three and a half to four million. That makes that and that's like a that's a good second liner or a good second pair defenseman. Ag- agreed, but the issue is is that here the two like the two most top end talents both play yeah. for the Toronto Maple Leafs. We saw this too when we posted the TikTok about. You know, is Matthews the best thief of all time? Would you trade Matthews for three first rounders in Byfield? I got flamed for saying that I'm giving up way too much for Austin Matthews. I want you to name me another player in the NHL besides Connor McDavid in his first five years in the league, has scored 60 goals, has won back to back Rocket Richards, has gotten even one Selkie vote, and has won a Hart Trophy. Like, those career accolades are almost enough to put you in the Hall of Fame as it is. Already. The guy got it before he started in his prime. Austin Matthews is undoubtedly a unicorn, undoubtedly a top-five player in the NHL, irrespective of the fact that he had a down year this year, still put up, what, 45 goals? 40. You got 40. Goals, you got 40, 40, 40 goals, was still overall in the playoffs good. He was terrible in the second round, but when you look at his stats overall throughout the first two rounds, he was good. Point per game in his career in the playoffs, great defensively in the playoffs. And then you add in Mitch Marner, who has been a point off twice from an 100-point season, right? He's nominated for a Selkie this year. How many wingers in the NHL are putting up 100 points in Selkie votes? Matthew Kachuk is the only other one I can think yeah. of. So when you think of it that way, you know you're pay, you're, you, you have to pay $11 million more because those two guys are two of the top 10 players in the NHL. But the issue is, is that you sacrifice on secondary scoring. And when those two guys go silent when it matters most... It hurts. It bites. It comes back to bite you. Yeah, I do. I do think the series of fa- playoff failures have really tainted just how good these guys are. And you know what? It and is a valid criticism. Rightfully so. I, I, to a degree. Yeah, but on face value, I'm so tired of people saying Austin Matthews is overrated because those those stats, I've just I don't see them anywhere else in the NHL besides Connor McDavid. Leon Dreisaitl doesn't have a heart. Leon Dreisaitl does not have a rocket, Richard, does he? I think he has one. Does he I have think in one? the bubble year he won the rocket. Oh, in the bubble. So or had... one of the two. He has a rocket, but so he's a Mickey Mouse rocket. Yeah. <laughs> or oh, these fans are gonna love that one. But he definitely doesn't have the defensive game that Matthews has. Nope. Doesn't have the shot blocking if you want to count that and I'm sure some people do he's got the goal scoring the passing and the offense if they're equal, equal. Matthew's probably still a better player overall no he is a better player yeah. overall I mean playoffs dry settled I, I'd say it's you're splitting hairs if you want to like really have an argument about the two regardless they're both top five players in the league yes and they and they're both going to be probably making 13 14 million dollars in a couple of years so I mean take your pick yeah but no the, the question that you asked me is good because you know do I want two of the better players or do I want a core that, yeah. you know, is retained on low salary that 
went pretty far in the playoffs this year. What do you what do you value? I feel like if we would have asked this question uh, as soon as the Leafs got eliminated, everyone would have picked the Devils. And I think people maybe still pick the Devils now depending on what they feel like they value. Yep. So it is interesting. And the, the cap makes this a discussion because you're right on paper. It's like, well, give me the two best players. But that's not the way the NHL operates. Let's... um. Okay, let's move on to Caulfield because he also signed pretty much the exact same contract. It's 8 by 7.85. Another team-friendly deal. Yeah, I think this is a steal for the Habs. Um, before Caulfield got hurt, he was top 10 goal scorers in the league, I'm pretty sure. And then by the end of the season, he was on pace for over 40 if he would have played all 82 because he got hurt. And he was 10th in goals per game. Like, 10th. Ahead of Jason Robertson, ahead of Austin Matthews. Like because he didn't play the whole season, I think his performance got overshadowed, but he was incredible for a bad Habs team for the first half of the year before he got hurt. Like really, really good. That's the big thing is that the team was bad. It's not like he was being surrounded by like Rocket Richard winners or like unbelievable passers. He was the the main play driver. You know, Suzuki's a good player, but he's by no means a top 20 player in the NHL. And for Caulfield to do that, on a power play that isn't very good, and he was like the imp- what's the word the impetus of that power play. I mean, yeah, he, well, he he's the guy they look to on yeah, the power play for good, sure. Good for him. No, I think I'm again fire your agent because this guy should have gotten nine nine and a half, especially with this the fact this was his breakout year. This was his breakout year. I, I feel like him getting hurt and missing a lot of this season was a was a blessing for the Habs, and like I wonder if you know he heard. I think he had to get shoulder surgery. Yeah. Like, do you think as a 20, what is he, 22? He's young. 22, 23 at most? You think, okay, I missed half of a season with a buggy shoulder. I Shoulders are pretty important for shooting and stuff. Like, how it, it must be hard to be like, to say no to basically $64 million. I guess everyone's different. Some guys are probably like, no, give me a bridge deal. I'm going to score 50 and then you're going to pay me 10. Or you're like, mm, maybe my shoulder, maybe I get injuries. I'll take sixty-four million. I'm still making sixty-four million dollars. I guess it's different for a guy who also was, you know, he was supposed to be a top ten pick, fell lower, then was, you know, very bad mm-hmm. when he started. Went to Laval, came back up. He's had some rocky, you know, bumps yeah. to his career. And you're right. Maybe he sees this money and goes, "I don't want to stress anymore." Um, I guess. <laughs> I guess it'd be a lot different if you came out the gate scoring thirty a year for four yeah. years in a row. Then you take a chance on yourself, but. No, I agree. The injuries played a role too. I probably, honestly, probably would have done the same thing. I would have asked to flatten it out at at eight. Yeah, and we'll call it's it a, a nice deal. round number. Yeah, but but even so, like even if he plateaus at what he is, which is apparently a top ten score in the league, like, but let's just say he becomes a thirty five goal scorer consistently, which I think is like a very conservative prediction. Yes, he's worth eight. He's worth seven point eight five million at that, especially with the cap going up. Like so, even if he is. What he is now, this is a good deal. But it's going to get better. 20 goal scorers make $6 million now. 35 goal scorer makes eight all day of the year. Yeah. And like that, well, Willie has turned himself into a 35 goal scorer, and he's going to be getting 10 something. He's probably going to start with a nine if he goes to UFA. He's going more. He has double digits, I really think so. Really? Yeah. But regardless, you're right. And it's not like you're paying him. You're not like you're paying a 35 goal scorer whose ceiling is 35 goals. It seems like this is his floor. Yeah, it seems like he's going to be consistently 35. And I wouldn't be surprised if when the Habs get better, that he's getting 50 goals for them. Because he's going to be on a line with a legitimate first line. It'll be like Suzuki. They're probably going to get Dubois. We'll talk about later. They're going to just surround themselves 
they're going to be a really good team in like 40 years, I think. Like they're going to be, when the Leafs potentially are on their way down and Tampa's fully done and Boston's rebuilding, like the Habs are going to be probably the team in the East eventually again. So the Leafs are good when the Atlantic's the best division in the league and the Habs are going to be good when it's the worst. Yeah. Great. It happens. What are you going to do? Um, and the Habs also had a terrible power play last year. Like maybe that's partially due to him being off of it for half the year, but I'm safe to say he wasn't stat padding with power play goals no. so when that team gets better when that power play gets better he will benefit from it as well so i think he's um he's gonna be underpaid but obviously still objectively well paid so best of both worlds i guess for the team and for him danik danik's gonna be happy for eight years oh my god i i, I wonder if habs fan tv posted a video <laughs> since that he's danik is probably like going crazy i, I we should have found that video before we started so we could have played it but yeah i, I think that channel is going to have a lot of fun over the coming years when this team starts to really ascend up the standings um but before we move on because like not much more to say about coffee because a lot of what we said about brad applies here let's do a would you rather for cole caulfield let's do it. and i'm going to start with the guy we just talked about cole caulfield or jesper brad i'll take cole caulfield there just because cole caulfield shows he's doing it on his own like he's driving play jesper brad's playing with some all-stars mm-hmm. and we said cole caulfield's top 10 in the league in goals per game. This seems like this is his floor, just his breakout year. He's going to be a 45 goal scorer. Okay. Cole Caulfield or Timo Meyer? That's tough. That's tough. Timo Meyer is just a bigger body. We saw in the playoffs, he was an extremely physical player. Back to back years where he's almost put up 80 points. But Caulfield can score, man. Timo, I think Timo had over 40 this year. Yeah, give me Timo. You're right. Okay. This is a little bit different age profiles, but I think still valid comparison. Cole Caulfield or William Nylander? Oh, William Nylander. Especially if we're not going to talk about like talent per cap hit. If it's just, who do I want next season? William Nylander's shown us that he's a top 20 goal scorer in the NHL. Okay. Now, this one might be personal for you. Cole Caulfield or Kevin Fiala? Kevin Fiala. I think Kevin really? Fiala is the most underrated player in the National Hockey okay. League. Remember we put up 80 points Didn't on he have the like 90 something last year? Yeah, it was on pace for oh, okay. it. But he, he put up like 80 points on the third line. Yeah. Under Dean Evison, who hated him. Kevin Fiala is that guy. Okay. And then lastly, had more goals per game than this guy. Cole Caulfield or Jason Robertson? How do you not take Jason Robertson? I mean, for You're the... making me look like a Cole Caulfield hater. I love Cole Caulfield. I think he's great. But Jason Robertson put up over 100 points this year and put up he did. 150. Did he almost put up 50? He put up 40-something. He was really close to 50. He was really close to 50 and had... an ish playoffs but then when it mattered most in the conference finals he was really good he was really good yeah you're right about that i think the the point totals i don't think cole caulfield will ever be a 100 point player maybe a 50 goal scorer but probably not a 100 point player let's not forget jason robertson is like the definition of a power forward six four probably 220 very different players so maybe not fair of me to compare them but cole caulfield is like when when i ranked his stats like goals per game and like impacts and stuff he was in the conversation with he was in the top 10, 15 for a lot of these things. So I was like, who do I even compare him to? Because he's not those guys yet, but he's shown that he could be. So this was a tough one. I think Habs fans might be upset, but that'll just help our TikTok algorithm. <laughs> so I don't really care. We're just going to take a brief intermission here to shout out the sponsor of today's episode, Manabout Town. Located in North York, Ontario, Manabout Town is ready to support you with all of your pregame luxury wear. Ranging from sharp suits to sleek shirts and pristine ties, Manabout Town is here to elevate your game to the next level. Visit Manabout Town today or find them on Instagram at manabouttown265 to learn more about how they can assist you. 
moving on to another like undersized American forward who can score 40 goals, like the Brinkett. Um, whoa, whoa, whoa. He's average height, okay? He's five foot eight. You're right. He's a king. <laughs> We're not going to be slandering ourselves here. Um, Dabrinkit has made it clear to the Sens he doesn't want to sign long term there. Who saw that coming? So, yeah, I mean, you, you did say this last year when they made that trade, um, giving up a first, a second, and a third for him. When the I think the first was a top 10 a pick. Of seventh or ninth. Seventh or ninth overall. Kind of backfires. I mean, it was in a bad draft. It, it was. It, it wasn't a bad draft, and I think you know the Sens needed to show that they were committing to getting better. Um, but yeah, I mean, you did kind of call it saying that he's going to be out the door in a year or two. It just seemed very obvious that he wants to play in a big American market. I don't think he was happy leaving Chicago. Like Chicago fits the bill. Like it, it's a big market. Like we said, it's American, and you know, just statistically, usually American free agents like to sign on American teams, and I mean. It's not even like Ottawa is a Toronto type huge market. It's a pretty, it's Small. not a, yeah, it's, it's smallish, small. right? I mean, if there was one American, sorry, Canadian market for a, an American phenom not to sign back in, it's them, Calgary, or Winnipeg, to be honest. And I think they were hoping that last year um, Ottawa was going to be better than they yes. were. They were going to convince them to stay. And, you know, they were bad most of the year. I mean, they, yeah, if, if they were the wild card team that everyone thought they were going to be, there's probably a better chance that he sticks around. Because at the end of the day, like you could tolerate a, a, what you consider to be an, an unideal market if you're winning or yeah. if you're show, like, showing signs that you're going to win. But they didn't really take much of a step forward last year. I agree. And he is not he's not an RFA yet. He's got one year left on his deal or is that I wrong? I think he's got one year left on his deal as far as I know. So he's given them a year to sort it out. And not only that, you know, we know that in... In contract years, guys want to show out. This was Debrinket's worst year statistically. Yeah, he stepped back. I wonder if he goes, you know, there's not a lot of ice. There's not as much ice for me in Ottawa. He was playing on the second line power play because both of their power plays are great. I wonder if he says, I want to go to a team where I'm playing first line, first line power play, 25 minutes a night, where maybe he gets 85, 90 points, um, and then he can sign a huge deal in free agency. I'm mistaken. He is an RFA now. That's what I thought. Yes, he is an RFA now. That's what I thought. So that was an even bigger risk than trading for him last year. I do remember talking about that. Now they had a one year to impress him. Mm-hmm. And I think his qualifying offer is like $9 million. So if they want to, I don't know if they know if they qualified him or took him to arbitration. I can't quite remember, but it's safe to say he's not going to be signing there. So they got to trade him. And where does he go? Uh, well, like, was some? Of, I think he's from Detroit. So yeah, but Detroit sucks. Like, they suck. If he wants to go home, he wants to go home. But why would you want to go home at 25 years of age? Like, don't you want to win? Like, you're a professional hockey player. You're not in, like, the back end of your prime after you've won two cups and you want to go home. I mean, they they are a young, somewhat up-and-coming team. Like, they made some questionable decisions last year, but they still have Sider. They still have Raymond. They kept, um, they committed to keeping Larkin around, right? They just signed him. Casper's going to be coming up, too. Yeah. So... Like they're they they are a team that's on the up. I would probably put them a peg below Ottawa last season, but now yeah. if you take Ottawa's like third, fourth best player, you're gonna be better too. That so. that core that we just mentioned doesn't shout Stanley Cup. No, no, they don't. Me. And does he not want to win a cup? Like, isn't he tired on of being he's, on bad? He's teams? been on bad teams his whole career, pretty much. But he was never on the good Chicago no. teams, right? I, like, I think towards the tail end, he might have played in the playoffs once or twice with them, but nothing special. Ottawa stinks. Like, I'm sorry, they yeah, stink. And Detroit good. is even worse. And what was the other? There was another team that apparently he was a good fit to. I I, I saw two big ones. Well, was, he he gave like a list of teams, right? Or like well, maybe it's not 
maybe it's not like um, publicized, but I think people are putting the pieces together, like Vegas, Nashville. Nashville's Vegas. a pretty garbage team Vegas, too. Vegas, that's what he would fit so nicely on he would. Vegas. Do they have the money though? They'll find it. We know they always Vegas do. Finds the You're money. right. And the one thing, you know, I don't know how I say this. The one thing that the reigning Stanley Cup champions were missing is like big time secondary scoring. Like their their secondary scorings aren't really big household names. At well, work, he might be their scoring if he I can mean. be forty goals. Like he might even be secondary oh, for that them. Team would be even better. They'd be really really good. I wonder who they'd have to move out to like make that happen. But they always find a way to do it and stay good. They so. might be able to save some money on Aiden Hill, and if they can. You know, convince Ottawa to take the Leonard contract for a bunch of picks. Mm. That could yeah, work. That could Leonard's be an option making, too. He's making six mil or something like oh, that. Yeah, five between five and six. Interesting. Yeah, I and mean, that that seems like a Vegas probably they're not satisfied. I don't think. Like I think Bill Foley came out in the like they had all the press conferences after, and he was like, "Let's do it again next year. Like let's keep going." So it's, I don't think they're satisfied. It's so funny that all of these players were saying that you know Vegas treats their players like crap, blah blah blah, and then. On every player's short list, Vegas For is there. Petrangelo, sure, Debrinket, I'm pretty sure Kachuk, Eichel. Eichel, they all had them on their short list because it's a phenomenal place to play, and the weather's phenomenal. Yeah. And I don't think they're, they're they're sitting there going, "Oh, you know, there's casinos, it's a hustle and bustle." No, no, I think no. they're just saying, "No tax, unbelievable market, um, yeah. great, I just great climate, and there's not a lot of pressure because." It's Vegas. Know, it's Vegas. Yeah, no, you're 100 percent right about that. Like you'd be you'd be crazy to not at least want, be somewhat interested in playing and living in vegas and like the desert surrounding areas i don't even think they live in vegas i think they all live in like henderson or whatever yeah. it is but anyway and you know it also is a, a plus if you want to go out with the boys one night you know yeah the vegas, like you're not gonna right like there. all these hockey players that go out like yeah. to go and to be able to have the strip in your backyard i mean it's a it's a pretty appealing feature yeah um but i think this conversation about the brinket is part of a larger one about young players in general be it american be a canadian just on like the last year of their R of their deal before their RFAs being like, actually, I don't want to be here. I'm not going to sign. I'm giving you notice, but please trade me. This is something we've never seen in the NHL. I think Kachuk was really kind of the first person to do that. Now we've seen Debrinket, Pierre-Luc Dubois did it actually last year as well. This is something we see, like we see it in soccer. We see it in basketball sometimes too. Huge, basketball, yeah. like the player, what's it called? Player power. What do they, they call it? Player agency, whatever you want to call it. Players have a lot of sway in the NBA. It's not definitely nowhere near that in the NHL, but we're starting to see glimpses of it. What do you think about it? Um, I first of all, I like it in the fact that you know players. I like the fact that players have more power and agency over where they're going. Like at the end of the mm-hmm. day, this is the player's career. It's the yeah. player's life. Um, I think now there's becoming to be a better balance between the organization getting good years out of the player when they draft them, and also the player being able to play where he wants to later mm-hmm. on in his career. I also just think there's a lot of protection. Um, from super team formation in the NHL, which is, I think, what people worry about in this conversation. They start to go, you know, if players start to demand where they want to play and demand trades, it might turn into a very concentrated type NBA league where there's three teams and it's, you know, Golden State versus Cleveland for five years in a row. The only reason that happened there is because teams, all they have to do is pay a luxury tax and big market teams can just attract all these big players. At the end of the day, if everyone has Vegas on their short list in the NHL, but Vegas has hit the cap, they can't go get these guys, yeah. right? So I think the biggest worry here is negated in the sense that we're not going to have super teams being formed in big markets. Will we start to see um, an exodus of players from smaller market teams? Yes. That's the thing. Yes, we will. Smaller markets will suffer. There is also a conversation as to whether um, smaller markets suffering in spite of bigger markets is better for the NHL in terms of revenue. Business-wise, probably. Right. But at the end of the day, 
you know, super teams aren't going to form because guys are, are starting to pick and choose where they want to go. Yeah, I, that's very well said. I think maybe prior to this, the like big markets having advantages wasn't as true because players were like just signing where they got yeah. drafted and not being willing to like put their put themselves out there. But now I think we're really going to see small markets suffer. You feel for their fans and for the GMs who are like, it's definitely easier to general manage in New York than Winnipeg. Like, of course. Like that, that, that goes without saying. Um, so it's, I just think small market teams are going to suffer. Their fans are going to suffer. It's going to suck to be a fan of a small market team, but this is what we've seen in all the other like sports. We've seen this happen in the NBA. We've seen this happen to a degree in the NFL as well, but the NFL is so big that like small markets can pay their players and keep them around. Like Aaron Rodgers stayed in Wisconsin for what? 15 years. They gave him 50 million a year. Yeah. So I think that, that that's kind of a sad thing. For, for, for NHL fans for the small markets, but I, I do think it makes the off seasons more entertaining. We're gonna see more trades, we're gonna see more for sure. We're just gonna see more news. I think from a league perspective, that's better for everyone who follows and covers a sport. What you need to worry about as a as a fan of a small market is if the, the NHL keeps growing and growing and growing and inevitably they, they start to move towards a soft cap system. Because we see this all the time in really small leagues like the NHL is right now compared to the other big three. Yeah, they're small. They started off with hard caps, and once the league gets big enough where they start to realize super teams and big markets makes a crap ton of revenue, and you move towards a soft cap, that's where parity goes down the drain. Yeah, I think, honestly, I don't know if that's... but I bet Bemin will inevitably not be commissioner anymore, and I think once he's out of the door as commissioner, the conversations about, the, about a soft cap or luxury tax or whatever you want to call it will we'll gain a lot of momentum. But In our lifetime, there will be a soft oh, cap. Oh, yeah. Like, Gary, like Gary right now... As most commissioners and millionaires are, like he's too, probably too, way too prideful to yeah. be like, actually, I don't, I don't want a hard cap anymore. Like he made his name as a commissioner on having a hard cap. So yeah. I don't think as long as he's around, I don't think that's going anywhere. But he's not going to be around forever. And when the next guy comes in, I wouldn't be surprised if that's what happens. I agree. Right. Um, another sort of Canadian team that's going to be losing a lot of talent is the Calgary Flames. So funny. Um, I think it, it was known before this that Hannafin didn't want to stick around. And then Frank Saravalli decided he wanted to literally end Calgary Flames. Like, he wanted to end them as just as an organization. Because, like, within, I think, it was within a day. He was like, yeah, Lindholm's not resigning. And Tafoy doesn't want to resign either. Lindholm's the big one. So their top line center, who was the third member of that top line with Goudreau and Kachuk. So now all three of them want have wanted out at some point. Yep. Toffoli was our top point scorer last year. Hannafin's probably their second best defenseman. Yeah. All three of them were like, yeah, um, trade me, please. Or or don't I'm not resigning. So either you trade me or I walk, basically. I mean, but you said it well. Like it's it's in a small market like Calgary, what gets those players to stay is winning. It is winning. And, and now they that they're not winning anymore, I mean they brought in Huberto and Kadri to win you a Stanley and Cup. Uyghur. And Uyghur, and they didn't even make the playoffs. Like, that's sad. Yeah, I mean Daryl Sutter might have actually done more damage to this organization than, than we thought at first and even like poor nazim kadri he was so adamant on yeah. going to a team in free agency that would win and this team's going to be a lottery team pretty soon they're going to be well, that's the thing it's like you're going to lose like three of your best players but you still have Uyghur and kadri and huberto on eight and six year deals like respectively so and, you're not bad enough to be bad and the issue is is the guys that you're keeping around 
awful deals. It's not like you're yeah. losing guys on on bad deals. You free up space, and then you know if you want to rebuild around Kadrian Weger, although that's not ideal, you have twelve more million in space. Like it's impossible to build around a thirty-one-year-old declining winger who can't play defense and gets paid twelve million a year. It's just not possible. Yeah. So like, so if you're Craig Conroy, who unfortunately now in his first month as GM has <laughs> figured out that nobody wants to stick around, if you're him, are you? trying to move Evan and Earth to like move Huberdo and Uyghur if possible along with these guys and have like a bare bones like strip it down rebuild or are you trying to get the assets because you will get good assets for Lindholm to fully Hannafin like you're going to get good value for those guys and you try and use those kind of like St. Louis is doing to retool on the fly and then surround Huberdo and Uyghur and Kadri with different players it's a good tough, players it's a tough question because first of all i don't i think trading huberto and kadri or sorry Uyghur are out of the question because you okay. get pennies on the dollars is an understatement probably have to pay someone to take huberto for sure so you would end up have you would end up giving a heart nominee con Smythe caliber matthew kachuk away for like you would have to give up a first or a second to give them up like that's what that trade turns into yeah and they, that organization would literally never live that down i i just think you know, you, you can't do that, number one. Number two, like retooling on the fly. How long do you think retooling on the fly takes? Two years, three years? By that time, Hubert well, 34. Some, well, like St. Louis is doing it now, albeit their best players are young. But um, I think two, like a handful of years ago, like before, like after 2011, and then between 2011 and like 2019, I know that's a long time, but like Boston did retool. Like Boston did it fairly quickly. And if you, like, let's say you get like, I don't know, two firsts, some seconds, and some decent players for a collection of Lindholm to Foley Hannafin at some point. It's just not enough, though. So like, but then if you, would you turn around and use those in another trade, or are you drafting with those? Like, I don't think drafting with those gives you any value. You, you undoubtedly have to use them in trades. Like, yeah. you're, like, you're, you're right. It gives you no value because those guys come up in three to four years, and this team's terrible, and you have guys locked into huge deals. Yeah. You've committed to a window that, albeit as probably being filled with cement right now but you have to keep trying to yeah, open it's still it. open for some like and they have markstrom and tan both make like six and they're both terrible sorry tan is not bad markstrom's off markstrom was bad i wouldn't be surprised if he's just good again this year because he seems to be another one of those goalies that flip flops being really good and being really bad but they they got decisions to make and and if you're a rival gm and craig conroy comes to you after making those trades and is like well i have first and seconds to play with well they're going to know you're desperate. Yeah. And so you're probably not going to be getting a great return. For, you're not probably not going to be getting great trades out of those assets anymore. Yeah, not a good start for Craig Conroy. Like, presumably, he already knew Toffoli, Hannafin, and, and Lindholm were not signing back before it was leaked by Sarah Valley. Now Sarah Valley lets all other GMs yeah, know. No you leverage lose, now. You lose all your leverage. It's, it's tough. Lindholm, without me knowing... That he um that he is ready to be traded. You look at it. He was a former ninety-five point player, forty goal scorer, albeit besides Kachuk and yeah. Goudreau. But you know we know he's Selkie caliber defense. Mm-hmm. We know he's one of the best penalty killers in the league. That guy probably goes for two firsts. Like honestly, maybe. And he, and for the next year, he makes only four point nine million. Extremely cost controlled, yeah. and you get first dibs of signing him back halfway yeah. through the year for like what eight and a half. Eight and a half. That's gonna be a. That's gonna be another one of those terrible contracts because he's like in his. I think he's in his early thirties or twenty nine yeah. or whatever. But if your team is trying to win, getting Lindholm for like the next for the back end of his prime, like and he could he, do a lot worse. And, and now that you know that he wants to leave, and yeah. you know that you know Calgary just got sewered on a deal by a guy who wanted to leave. There's gonna be a lot of teams knocking at the door to fleece Calgary. Not a good yeah, time to be a tough. Fan. It's tough. I'll be. I'll be interested to see. Like Craig Conroy is a month into his job and. Basically, 
I heard Chris Johnson say this, but like the foundation for his whole tenure is gonna be this offseason because depending on how he decides to handle these players, it's gonna change like the next. Yeah, it'll have a big impact on this team for the at least the short term future. Thank God they got rid of Trey Living, or else they would have traded those three for like. I don't even know. Don't slander. You can't slander him anymore. He's our he's our guy now. I don't like Brad Trey Living. Okay, bad well, GM. If they, I mean, granted, they're not going to be picking very high, but the draft is next week. Talking about draft picks, let's quickly just wrap up the show, pretty much, or maybe the last second, last thing we talk about, with just a little bit of like a draft preview. We're not we're not prospect experts. We're not pretending to be, but there's obviously one big talking point coming into this one, and that's which team is willing to take a chance on Mave Mitchkov, who is. For you know, by by pretty much all assessments, probably a top two talent in the draft. But yes. there's things to consider in drafting him that might make him drop. If you were a team with a top four pick, are you take are you pulling the trigger? Or are you picking a guy you know will be willing to play, will be able to play for you when you want him to? I think it depends on 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 the team's needs. Like I I think first and foremost, if you're looking for a guy to play for you next year and you're picking within the top two. 100%. No, we know Connor Bernard is a generational talent. Yeah. We know well, he's arguably the best prospect since Sidney Crosby. Could have been a better prospect than McDavid, but mm-hmm. arguably. And then, you know, um, Adam Fantilli is a six foot four, 200 and something pound beast. beast, right? And those guys don't grow on trees. Like big time power forwards who can check, who can score. Very few and far between the NHL right now. Ovechkin, yeah. we just said Jason Robertson. I don't even know how many other, you know, big-time, huge wingers that throw the body around and can score you 40 goals a year exists in the NHL. Like, those two are unicorns. After that, you know, Carlson and, and Will Smith, who, you know, Will Smith is taking time off of acting. He's playing in the MLB. This guy's <laughs> going to slap some people. <laughs> <laughs> this guy's everywhere. He's everywhere. But when you start looking at three, four, and five, right now it's Carlson, um, Smith, Mitchkov is the projection. Don't want to see that happening because we know Mitchkov might go to the Habs and that would kill us because Mitchkov is going to turn out to be one of the best players from this draft. It's going to be good. It gets interesting at pick three because at pick three, you start to weigh, is um, is Mitchkov going to come in time to play for me? Is he going to come at all? You is know, he willing to come to my market? Right, That that's true. And I thought that that was kind of an overplayed, dramatized argument, but you gave me a lot of examples pre-show that you can talk about now about guys who didn't come. Yeah, I mean Kaprizov didn't come for a while. It took the it took the the wild like a few summers I think of convincing to get him over. I cannot remember. Well, Radulov, Radulov, albeit Radulov was not Kaprizov, but he was really really good. It took him forever to get over to to Nashville. Mm-hmm. Um, and you just like there's no guarantee because Mishkov already has a contract in the KHL for yep. next year. Like a lot of the times you draft them and then. There's a worry that they might sign a contract in the KHL. He already has signed a contract in the KHL. So for the next three years, he's going to be in Russia no matter what. So a devil's advocate to that argument is we even saw in last year's draft, Simon Nemec gets drafted two overall, still not in the NHL. Usually guys that are drafted right. past the top three spend a couple years in the farm. So realistically, Mitchkov might come up at the same time as Will Smith, but your issue is he might not come at all. That That's the thing. It's like with with Nemec, who, who I think was playing in like one of the other European leagues or like these guys who can play in the farm, like the, the NHL is their goal. I just don't know if there's that level of clarity with Mitchkov, like this is where he wants to end up or, you know, we're not any other, we're a hockey podcast, but there are definitely things that we don't talk about in this podcast that could also influence things moving forward for him in terms of being able to come to the NHL or playing in Russia. Like there's, a lot of non-hockey factors that will will factor into this, whether it's something that we want to talk about or not. I don't think we will because that's not what we do. 
But it's a really tough call. And a team that pulls the trigger on him in the top 10, maybe top seven, is taking a big risk. That could be a big reward because, like you said, the talent is there. He's probably like next to Bedard, the second most talented player in this draft. Which is crazy because a lot of people, including me, haven't had the chance to see him play. We didn't see him in the World Juniors no. this year. I haven't seen any tape of him play. But from all like um, articles, advanced models that you read from reputable reputable sources, mm-hmm. excuse me, um, scouts are putting this guy as like a one B towards Connor Bedard, and it's been yeah. a while since we've seen a guy like Connor Bedard, and they're saying he is almost as good as him. Like if if this guy was playing in the OHL, apparently he was a hundred percent ranked over Adam Fantilli, a hundred percent going to. And there's a discussion whether you take Bedard or Mitchkov at one. You'd probably take Bedard because he's Bedard. But the argument here is. You might get a chance to get a guy at five and take a risk that he doesn't come at all. But if he does come, you could have got a first overall pick. At Pretty five. much in every other in any other year, he's basically a first overall pick. Which is crazy. Yeah, like I've heard that Bedard, Fantilli, Mitchkov are three first overall talents in in like an Owen Power type draft, for example. Yeah, like it's it's a really good draft. So to answer your question, am I reaching for him with the third overall pick? For me, I am. I am because like. The talent is just too mm-hmm. good to say no. Like this guy could turn out to be a Kucherov type 120 point player. Yeah. And yeah. out of all the guys that you named to me, um, they all came late, but they all ended up playing in the NHL at some point. So even if you get have to wait a little bit and you get Kaprizov at age 26, but Kaprizov comes here and is a heart candidate, scores 50, yeah. gets 110 points. I'm willing to wait if I'm Chicago, not Chicago, if it, I'm Columbus it's, at it's three, Columbus. because I know Goudreau and Line are here for the long term. So if the bat, if I can risk the front half of um, of Mitchkov's like tenure staying in in Russia, excuse me, with Columbus being bad for the second half of it to be phenomenal, I'm doing it because I was going to already be bad to begin with. Yeah, yeah, and I feel like I think most fans of these teams are like, take the gamble, take the gamble, but obviously yes. like you. GMs think differently than fans, but I think you would have the support of your fan base as well for taking a risk because I don't think wild fans are thinking, oh my God, I can't believe didn't have Kaprizov for those six years. Like, oh my God, we have Kaprizov now and he's great. So if it works out, it works out. Are you taking a reach with him at three? Um, Because let's not forget. I don't know. I just think if I'm Columbus, like who the hell wants to come here? Leo Carlson is also a phenomenal pick. Yeah, right? So it's, you're getting more of a guarantee, albeit less talent. It's a really tough decision. Like, I don't think it's as easy as, oh, just take the risk. Like, we're having a... I mean, we you you said you would take the risk, but you're not just saying it. Like, you've put thought into it and you recognize, like, mm, there's other good players too. It, it would have been less of a discussion if it was, like, one of these NHL drafts that we see a lot where it's, like, one, two, and then, like, a bunch of space and it falls off a cliff. Yeah. Like, three and four are still bonafide top five picks. Like, yes. this is one of the most stacked drafts we've ever seen. And I'm excited to see where it plays out. I, we'll see. I think Mitch Kopp goes three. I really think he does. You think he goes three? I think he does. Yeah. I hope he. Go, I hope he goes anywhere but the Habs because then to have to sit through that is gonna be just it's gonna be disgusting. And I know the guys at Habs fan TV. I've seen their videos saying they want Mitchkov, and so you already know Danik is gonna be parading in the streets with his shirt off if they, <laughs> if they draft him. And now while while that would be highly entertaining, I think five years down the road I will be um, upset about it. Oh, so I think to wrap up the episode, I think we just want to, you know, we save this for the end because we're going to indulge ourselves a little bit. Maybe people don't appreciate that as much as we will. But we did make some picks. I think before this season started, we, we had a, sec, a segment where we said, okay, we're going to give our hot takes for the 22-23 season. I think we made two each. And three of those, three of four were quite accurate. And at the time, were actually considered, I think, fairly hot takes. 
Yeah, so, let's react to them in, in real time. Okay, we're going to play them through the microphone. Let's okay. see if it works. Here's number one. Very quickly. Um, number one, hot take. We talked about this a lot, so I won't, I won't say it too much again. The, Vol the Golden Knights win the Pacific and they make the Western Conference Finals. I think that's a pretty hot take. Team is incredibly built to win. Michael Barner said it here. What do you think about that one? Well, I think... Uh, I think you deserve some kudos for that because you you said not only win the you said not only make the final four but you said win the Pacific when they didn't make the playoffs and when Edmonton was Edmonton and Calgary was Calgary at the time and they were a dumpster fire they had yeah. just hired Bruce Cassidy Jack Eichel was still a wild card coming off yes. of surgery the Pacific was stacked I'll pat myself on the back that was a that really one. good one that was so a really good guess that, that's number one when I had made that argument what were you thinking in your mind well I, I think. It was either that episode or leading into this season. I was like, well, who the heck's going to play goalie for them? Their offense is like not super deep. And like guys like Martinez and Petrangelo were a little bit, a little bit older. I, 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 I don't know if I overly disagreed with you on this episode, but in my head, I was like, wow, that's, that's, a, that's a take for sure. I mean, in the back of in the back of my mind was also my Vegas Golden Knights bias. I just love the Golden it, Knights. I yeah. love the villain arc, and it worked. They all they're they are the ultimate villains now. They're no longer the cute little expansion team. Like no one likes them. And I'll be honest, I got bailed out by Aiden Hill. Like absolutely well, bailed out. I mean, hey, like like he's on the team. Like it doesn't doesn't matter. Kind of, kind of crazy that they won the Stanley Cup. I even, you know, what was cool. We posted a video with hockey analysis, a collab on mm -hmm. on Instagram. And just as a joke, on my legitimate account, like my personal Instagram account, I commented on that post in like mid-January, putting like Vegas 2023 Cup Champs mm -hmm. confirmed. I think it was this video. I got super lucky. And now I'm seeing a bunch of comments being like, no way you called it. No way you called oh, it. Oh, really? Like, like, guys, I had to call it because I made that take. Like, I really didn't Still. believe it. But it hits. But, okay, so far we're one, one for one. The next one is your take. And okay. remember, all of these takes were made before the season started. Yeah. Two teams in the Atlantic who everyone is like so high on the Senators and the Wings. Neither of them are going to make the playoffs. That's a good one. Neither of them. I mean, two for two. Yeah, I was right. At, at that time, that was when we were having discussions about um, is the Sens top six better than than the Leafs top six? And people were saying that like both of these teams would be wild card spots. I think because I was also people were assuming that Boston was going to suck and they went on to have just the best regular season ever. Yeah, there was there was a lot of momentum for those two teams, and I just didn't buy it because both of them would have needed to gain like thirty to forty points on their last season, and that just never happens in the NHL. And I thought that these teams also had pretty bad pretty bad decors and pretty bad goalies. So and you were right. All considered, I thought the hype was a little bit unwarranted. That's right when they got to brink it. That's yeah. also right when Stutzel signed that contract, and Stutzel was playing right. really well. Claude Giroux had just signed there. That's right, Giroux too. That offseason, yeah, they had they they basically like. Fill out their top six and sign their best their best forward to a, and, like a long term contract. And so. for a very short period of time, Ottawa fans were feeling themselves. They were getting all of this traction, like you said. Oh yeah, I'm taking the Ottawa top six. How did that work out for you? They got they got humbled. I feel like that was one of the hotter takes because there was so much controversy on our TikTok about it. But it was the most logical one because like yeah. the Atlantic is the hardest division in the NHL. How is how is that team gonna compete? The two team. I didn't think two teams were gonna drop off enough for them to fill the to fill the gap. And yeah, I mean, ended up being right. We'll see. Two for two. Can we go two three for, for three? Let's see. 
the Pittsburgh Penguins win the Metro and make the Eastern Conference Finals. Oh, baby. Yes, I think 103 points last year. The winner. Was- How did that one work out for me? <laughs> we don't have to talk about this one. So that's the that's the big L. That's the big L. And when I reflect back on it as to why I thought about it, uh, at the beginning of the season, they give Latang a 6 by 5 He's going to end up, the contract's going to expire when he's 41. Um, they give Malkin a what? A four-year contract or something like that. They gave Three or four. They gave Raquel a big deal too. We know Gensel was on Gensel and Crosby were on the back half of those deals. And we go, okay, they've committed to a core here. They've clearly committed to it. At the deadline, this team is gonna go absolutely off. They're gonna make some huge moves. And I thought they had no choice out of desperation but to push. And at the deadline, who did they get again? It was like Granlund for a second and Dmitry Kulikov. Like who are those guys? Exactly. They were the opposite of uh I don't know, going for it. I don't know like what the adjective for that is, but they were the opposite of making a move that was going to help them. And their goalie sucked, and they probably needed one. So and I, do you think Ron Hextall's lack of moves at the deadline is what ended up getting him fired? I think it was the la- lack of moves. I think there was, like, I think even from day one when he came in, there was, like, this big expose and, like, the athletic about how him and Burke did just a terrible job. Like, his pitch when he was interviewing to be a GM was we're going to trade Malkin on the tank. Like that's on record. Really? And they hired him and then <laughs> he ended up having to sign them because Sidney Crosby was like, who do you think you are? Yeah. What the heck? And then it, it, it was just bad management, bad management all around. But yeah, like when you commit to those contracts and your vision changes, you need to go out at the deadline. Like they had their first and second round picks for the next X amount of years. When Crosby and Malkin and Latango, this team's going to be awful. It was a big head scratcher. We talked about that on our deadline episode. It was they were the clear losers of the deadline because yeah. they just pretty much convinced themselves that they're going to just miss the playoffs at best, get like a twentieth overall pick, and be in the same spot they were next year. Yeah, they missed out on. I don't know if it'll be Crosby's last great season, but one of Crosby's last great, great season. We were still like unarguably a top 10 player in the league. For sure. For sure. So those were three takes that we had regarding teams. This is our first player prop take. Okay. Let's see if it worked. That Jack Hughes hits 45 goals and 100 points this year. Wow. 45? I'm calling it. The, the 45 is a hotter take. Close. So, I count that as a hit. Now you got 43 and 99. And you said 45 and 100. Yeah. Did he play 82 games? 78. So, counts. Maybe he gets a couple more goals in those four games and he gets over 100. I mean, listening back, I did not remember how aggressive that take was, but it was pretty aggressive. I mean, he was over a point a game in the year previous, but like nowhere near, I guess, what you consider a 45-goal, 100-point player. But, I mean, also, like you, you mentioned that like your Vegas take was partly inspired by your fandom i was definitely trying to manifest a good season for jack hughes because he was my keeper in my fantasy draft so i mean like they were definitely alternative um, motives for that take but it worked and i look i look fairly smart about it so we can forget all the bad takes that i've had and we can just remember that one i think when you made that take that was the one i was most like oof i don't know about that one <laughs> i don't know about that and i think I'm, back in my head i was like yeah i'm wrong here but i'm just trying to like be out there he and it worked up, that might be the best take that you've ever made he jumps from what what did he get the year before goals wise yeah 26 and 49 games so it's tough, tough to say but like he i don't know i maybe maybe would have been on track for 35 40 that year like so it wasn't that big of a jump but i think he was still largely an unknown quantity so it's because he got his gato man it's because he got his gato and 
<laughs> the Devils were really damn good this year, large in large part due to him. But he had a great team to play with too. So you're two for two. I'm one for two. We're three for four together. Seventy five. I count that as a pass. That's let's a see, pass. Let's see if we can go four for five. No, five for six. Last take. Okay. Calgary Flames. Uh-oh. This is a hot one. I think there's a non-trivial chance here that Calgary implodes, misses the playoffs, and these deals cripple the organization. Jesus. Oh. Oh. I think uh, I think that's a, a little four for five action. That's right a there. home. That's a home. That run. is a home run. At that time, the Calgary Flames had just made a phenomenal. Quote unquote, quote unquote phenomenal, phenomenal move for Huberto and Uyghur. Huberto just had 115 points. Uyghur was like the quote unquote most underrated defenseman in the NHL. They had just lost to Edmonton in seven in the conference, not conference finals, the second round. Daryl Sutter's coming off of a Jack Adams. Yeah. He's coming off of Jack Adams, you're right. And yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, you called it. You, you, you said that not only you, you said not only were they gonna might miss the playoffs, they were gonna implode, and that's exactly what happened. I think implode's the right word. Implode is the right is the right word because they were supposed to be like this well structured team with good leadership, you know, coach that was had them playing disciplined hockey, blah blah blah, and then we saw over the course of this season that things just kept going on, kept going wrong. They lost their GM, they lost their um, coach in the process. They're going to lose their top line center, their top winger, and one of their best defensemen all in an offseason. And they were in a, a situation where they they were, I don't know the analogy, but, you know, it's like just after a breakup when you're like, yeah, I don't need you, like to, to Matthew Kachuk, yeah, yeah. like, I found somebody better. The fans were in that phase for sure. And the writing was on the wall that the most one-sided, older, oldest winger putting up 150 points, going to the most defensive-styled system is bound for a drop-off. Granted, I didn't think he was going to put up 55 points. I thought he was going to put up 75. And I remember even saying on this podcast, if he puts up 75 points off of an $11.5 million contract, that's a failure. Yeah. And, I mean, he put up 55. And Kadri went back. Safe to to say that that was not a success. Kadri went back to, what, 65 points, 70? Yeah, which is honestly, for a second-line center, you probably take it. Yeah, you do. he wasn't the 100-point player he was on the avalanche. No, I, I agree. And, yeah, I mean, that feels pretty good. That's pretty good. We went, like, four for five, and we weren't, and, like, we were like on the money for those four. I think that overall you marginally beat me because my one Pittsburgh take well, takes a lot away from me. Two and, two. And your and your Gato pick was huge. The Gato pick. Yeah, I mean I was definitely biased, but we don't <laughs> have to talk about that. Um with that. What do we got? Uh what I do we know, got I, left? I kinda like doing this these hot takes things. Maybe we should do like a hot take for the um for like the free agency or something and we'll and we'll compare it. At the end, and okay. we'll, we'll, we'll read. We'll this, I think this free agency is going to be so boring because, like, Michael Bunting is a top free agent right now, <laughs> and Dimitri Orlov. But maybe we can, we can figure. Well, there's going to be lots of, um, I think there's going to be lots of trade action. We'll see. So we'll see. Maybe next episode we can work something out before free agency starts. Yeah, we're going to try to film next week, and if not, we'll be back in two weeks. Yeah. And from then okay. on, we'll, uh, we'll see you in a few. Okay. See you in a few weeks. Thank you for tuning in. This has been the Upon Further Review podcast. We'll see you all next week.